0: From Relay FM, this is Connected Episode 231. It is made possible this week by our sponsors, Pingdom, Luna Display, and Care Of. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and this is an odd episode, so let me introduce to you, my friend and yours,
1: Michael Hurley. The year of Mike has officially begun. Now wow. that I've got justice, the justice that I deserved, and here I am as introduced first i'm now going to begin my 90 minute monologue as part of my introduction (laughs) that i prepared this week i was born in 1988 in a small town. no i'm done now
2: please continue (laughs) i will listen to this
1: (laughs) i don't have it prepared i'll I'll prepare it for my next my next episode okay and uh we have federico here as well
2: hello hi but if you think about it Every number is an even number because two hundred and thirty-one divided by two is one hundred and fifteen point five. So I don't think you understand you know, the even numbers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he cheated in math class, remember? <laughs> yeah. Oh well, yeah.
2: I don't know, uh, but yeah, uh, it's fine. Uh, you know this this new rule system. Um, if it's Mike, fair. Really, if Mike wanted it, so um, you know he's happy. So.
1: It's fair is what it is.
2: Fair. Fair is such an overused term. Uh, But yeah, I will uh, will accept it.
0: Okay. I'm glad we got that cleared up. Mm -hmm. We have Mm -hmm. a bunch of follow-up this week. It goes on and on and on. Uh, The Apple Enterprise certificate system is still completely broken (laughs) in every way. 9to5Mac reported this on last week. The Verge reported on it, uh, I think, yesterday or today, like, shocked that people install hacked apps on their phone. I guess the moral of the story is this is, like, still super, super broken.
2: Yeah, we've um, we've sort of hinted at the the fact that there, there, there have been for, for several years now like these third-party app stores that allowed you to install. I mentioned tweaked versions of apps like Spotify without ads or... You know, Instagram with certain enhancements that were possible only on jailbroken devices. And um, I think Bloomberg also did a report on this and they mentioned the service that I was thinking of. It's called Tweakbox. And it's part of this uh, series of third party uh, alternative, uh, quote unquote, app stores that allow you to install either modified versions of apps or just hacked, uh, like uh, cracked copies of apps. Um, this reminds me uh, of the fact that years ago before, you know, when when jailbreaking an iPhone used to be more of a common thing, uh, like, you know, you guys remember there were like tools that you could download on your computer mm-hmm. and they would jailbreak your device with one click. Yeah, I, I, I jailbroke uh, some stuff in the past, yeah.
1: like iPod touches and stuff. Yeah,
2: and I would often, like when jailbreaking was easy, I would often find on my friend's home screens... Um, these um this third party app store that i don't think it exists anymore it was called installus and okay. it was a way to install like pirated copies of games and my friends were crazy for for this illegal app store but it used to be so common and it feels like to an extent this enterprise certificate deal is sort of like the new jailbreaking for a lot of people it's a way to get around um, the app store and paying for software uh using in this case it's even more uh easy to do because it's it's an officially sanctioned tool that is available on ios
1: i mean uh, clearly at this point right we're talking about this every week because TechCrunch hit on an absolute goldmine of reporting Mm -hmm. and now everyone's jumping on the bandwagon right so like everyone's trying to write their piece now about the enterprise thing and i'm not saying that it's not valid especially cuz th- new things keep coming out but like this feels like a story that's going to keep popping up for a little while um and or even if it goes away everyone now has like an opinion about this enterprise stuff and it means probably more people are going to try and get hacked apps because now they might know that it exists uh, mm-hmm. When they did not before, but like you know, you know, every now and then you just see these things pop up. They're like someone gets this big story, and then people will start digging into it. Like as you imagine, in in newsrooms across the globe, what is our story about the uh, enterprise certificates, right? And then someone has to try and write a story about it, which is why it's now all over the place. Um, and they just these stories just keep popping up. It still feels like our. Conversation from last week holds up that
0: there's some sort of reckoning coming for this system. <laughs> it's gonna yeah, it's gonna go through some changes. We also spoke about the report concerning Apple's upcoming like texture-powered news magazine website thing through Apple News. Uh, the story was that Apple had asked publishers for 50% of the revenue generated through the subscriptions in Apple News. And uh, after we recorded, uh, Recode had an article uh, putting some more detail into this, uh, and, and basically the headline here is that Apple does actually have qu- potentially quite a few organizations and publications signed up for this because they would rather have a small percentage of a big number than a big chunk of a small number. And so, you know, when has ever make it up in scale? That's never failed. But it seems like some people are going to go for it with this, so you know this may not be quite as dire as it seemed when they launched this thing. I think there'll be more people there than we anticipated.
1: Yeah, I think it's a it's a good it's a good point. It's a good set of points, right? That that Peter Kafka makes in this article. But I think you know even he he says that like you're still not going to get the huge publishers, right? Like it's very unlikely that the big newspapers are going to go for this. But as we were talking about before. This is clearly a a method for magazines, websites, newspapers that were not making a ton of money before to make some, but that still kind of leaves it in a situation of, is the service going to be compelling enough? Is it going to have enough of what people want to read that they would pay money for it? Um, That, I think, remains to be seen, and we'll find out next month.
2: Yeah, and it feels like something that will be... um more popular among publishers that don't have like an important presence on the web or don't have maybe the resources to commit to uh, building up a website with subscriptions and paywalls like if you're a magazine and you sort of have a website but it's not this great experience and you don't have paywalls on the web um, then I guess using Apple News and embracing Apple News on Apple's terms makes sense but again I remain convinced I agree with Mike if you're the Wall Street Journal, all the Times. So why would you give up the revenue that you can so uh, that you can get on your website because you have the whole infrastructure already in place? So I guess we'll see. The likes of like Spark magazines or other other publications that don't have such a strong web component. Um, I, I want to see if there will be any surprises. Like maybe the maybe actually the Times will be on Apple News. I strongly doubt it myself, but we'll see what happens.
0: Should just be. I mean, we could be a month away from this, right? If that that March event is uh, is really on the books. We do need to talk about maybe the highlight of last week of Team San Jose. Remember this? This is how Mac Rumors discovered when WC may be, and uh, we thought that Team San Jose was a a bad code name. Well, it turns out it's just a regular bad name. So, listener Robert sent this in: Team San Jose is the name of the city's like convention and visitor bureau that is in charge of like booking these events and publicizing them. They apparently run the city owned venues like the convention center. Uh, so not a code name, just sort of a weird marketing brand for the city of San Jose that, you know, they should workshop more, but uh, they even have a website. Um, you can go read it. It's team San Jose all the way, I
1: guess, you know, there, but this makes it kind of worse, right? Cause like, this wasn't Apple messing up. This was Apple having to rely on a company because they clearly are not allowed to book this, right? Uh, these venues without the involvement of Team San yeah, Jose, which is actually like and, it,
0: you know they they are like a public private thing. So like relying on the city or something partially funded by the city is not not great. Mm-hmm.
2: I just wanted to let you know that Team San Jose has DMAP certification, which is the Destination Marketing Accreditation Program DMAP. An independent international body defining quality and performance issues in destination marketing and recognizing DMOs that meet or exceed Mm. industry standards. So uh, you got the sweet, sweet DMAP program approved. You know, Team San Jose all the way. Good job. Um, I was
1: thinking about not attending San Jose this year if they didn't have DMAP certification by now. So, No, no, they
2: they have DMAP, so it's safe to go. If you're a DMAP aficionado, it's safe to go. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I like how
0: <laughs> I like how they ex- how they explain what DMAP means um, but then they jump into DMO which is destination marketing mm. organization but they don't explain that till later sure. so like
2: uh-huh there's also DDMAI which is, uh, you know, when AI gets involved, uh, that's mm-hmm. the future of DM, the DM programs. And they explain uh, DM, that, but then they mm-hmm.
0: don't use it again. This is very sloppy use of
1: acronyms, San Jose. It's, it's well, <laughs> because people that don't know the acronyms shouldn't really be on this website. Right. Let's be right. honest; it's not meant for but us. But it's, it's just Great. poor use
0: of acronyms. Like you, you, you got to use it on first reference, and then you don't give it if you don't ever use it again. I just don't.
2: Also, uh, mm. I wanted to let you know that there's a shop, San Jose which is uh, another thing that, that exists. Mm. Uh, you can buy t-shirts uh, with the San Jose logo, wow. hats, um, yeah, also stickers. Uh, Mike, want some you, cool you
1: should... San Jose swag? <laughs> Be the first to get the newest San Jose branded t-shirts, <laughs> hoodies, hats, and more. I feel like we should all buy these and we can roll into San Jose. You should a pretty put cool a logo. San Jose
2: sticker on your iPad, Mike. Okay.
1: I don't think I want to pay for the shipping.
2: Well, you, maybe you can pick it up in person at the Team San Jose office. Maybe
1: I can. Maybe they have a big, big gift shop or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a selection of follow-up items that I would like to submit to the group. Oh, boy.
2: Would you say a menu of follow-up items?
1: Yeah, so I'll tell you them all, and then you can like choose what your favorite one was. Okay. okay. Uh, I would like to thank everybody who tried to help me on my Sonos-related record player quest. Um, i got lots of suggestions. Pretty much every suggestion... Ended with what app shall I use? Um, I was getting lots of people just plug it into an iPod Touch, but the problem is always okay. Well, when I get there, how do I get the audio from the iPod Touch from an audio in yeah. to the HomePod? And there's basically, then then there's like a bunch of other solutions. None of them are what I want. Oh, man.
0: You can't leave that hanging because then you're going to get feedback about that again. The answer was leave GarageBand running on the iPod
1: Touch monitoring the right, input. of no, that is untenable. That's untenable. That is an untenable solution.
0: I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying that you can't leave that hanging or you're going to hear about GarageBand for another
1: seven days. To be honest, I've gotten so many uh, pieces of feedback about this, I'd completely forgotten about the GarageBand one because that was one of the first and then I've spent the last week of my life reading these solutions uh none of them i genuinely am grateful for people trying to help me um this is nobody's fault except the technology that underlies everything uh i've decided though that i will not be progressing any technology focused route to solve this problem and i'm just gonna buy some speakers i I like the people that just wrote into me uh including marco amen and just said you're not going to be happy with any of this. And by doing something technological, you're kind of ruining part of what makes a record player so much fun to own. So I'm going to go with the speaker route. It was a nice try. Uh, but that's that. That is done. That This door has been closed. Um, I have been given the teachy curse. My AirPods are now only getting about 60 to 90 minutes of there battery life before I hear the sound. This was not happening. Uh, a couple of weeks ago before we started talking about this, but now they are. I was on a phone call yesterday, 45 minutes in, whatever, little noises. Mm -hmm. So that's unfortunate. So it's happening to me now too. Um, I am a devout Gboard user, have been for a long time. I absolutely love it. The autocorrect works well for me. I like the swipe typing and all the emoji search and stuff is brilliant. They just added haptic feedback um, when you tap on keys. I love this. You don't have to. It's the thing you have to turn on. It's off by default. I turned it on, and I really, really like it. I like the way it feels. So that's something. It's just another great feature that Gboard has. And finally, I scratched my screen protector.
2: Oh, your paper thing?
1: Yeah, like I got like a deep, like, gouge into it. What did you do? I don't know what I did. But it scratched. At this point, I'm just trying to hang on. I still like the way it feels, but I'm getting more frustrated with it. I don't know how much longer it's gonna live, but I just wanted to let you know that I scratched the screen protector. Just because that's kind of a funny thing. Maybe you were happen. upset.
2: Maybe you were upset at the screen protector and you wanted maybe. to hurt it. Yeah, maybe that might have been <laughs> what it was. Do you know what could, would be
0: could... really rewarding for all of us, just as a connected family, if you just yep. got your iPad and took it off on mm-hmm. the microphone? so we could hear it. I
1: knew you were going to suggest It's a really nice sound. So mm-hmm. It's not in the same room. Well, we can wait. So while I can edit an elevator when we come music. Back from the, when we come back from the ad break, we can all have an oh ASMR treat. Yes.
2: Ooh. So oh you go God. do that, and I'll go get my iPad. Oh, my God. Okay.
0: This episode of Connected is brought to you by Pingdom, the company that makes website performance monitoring really easy. Look, everyone loves... A fast website, and Pingdom is helping keep our favorite sites online—from Netflix to Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, Buzzfeed, Slack, and a little podcast network you may know as Relay FM. These companies trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites can get pretty complicated. They have a lot of moving parts, like user registration, logins, checkout, saving, shopping carts—a ton of stuff, right? Simple static sites are a thing of the past. And Pingdom can monitor all these different site transactions because they care about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know. Pingdom is super easy to set up. It's really simple to get started. All they need is your URL, and they take care of the rest. That's it. Just give them the URL, and you're off. Go to Pingdom.com slash Relay FM right now for a 14 day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the offer code Connected at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM.
1: So, but before I do this, I just want to say, I will miss the way that this feels. It does feel really good, but like it does ruin, does ruin the the screen. I have no idea. Goodbye, paper. Bye. I have no idea if you're going to hear this, but I'm going to give it a go anyway. All right. You ready? Yes. Oh, man. It's gone. It
0: sounded like thunder for a second.
1: Yeah, there was one point where I hit it against the microphone. <laughs> oh, you guys, did you know that the uh, the 12.9-inch the iPad has a really nice screen? <laughs> it's a retina display under there. It looks <laughs> so good. Oh, my God. It looks so good. But you know what, though? Genuinely, I, I, I do not like the way it feels. Like, there's, it's just it's too grippy now. You need some more finger grease on there to oil that baby up. I guess uh, that's... <laughs> That's probably what it is. And as soon as I get
2: That's disgusting, Steven. <laughs> my god. Can I just say
1: I've had this thing for like a second and it's it's like and there's already like a bunch of just fingerprints all yeah. over it. So I've... That, that's the thing that I'm giving up. I just I
0: clean my iPad off, you know, every once in a while and I think this is really nice. I should put it in a glass case and never touch it again.
2: No, you just need a screen protector. The trick is to never leave the display off. So you never see the fingerprints.
0: <laughs> That's the secret You're to your productivity. To now.
2: Mm-hmm. Always keep it running. All right. Do we have to do this? Whatever it is, yes, is the answer. Yeah, you promised.
1: You promised that you would talk about your phone situation. Oh,
2: I see. Oh, I see what we're talking about. Oh.
1: I, did, I did promise. To recap, I bought an
0: iPhone XS Max with y'all and many of our listeners back when it, whenever it came out in the fall. And uh it was pretty good. Pretty good time. Screen was nice, battery life was amazing. And then uh like a month ago, I said, you know, I should check out the iPhone 10R. It's the most popular iPhone. I want to kind of understand it as a device, see what it's like compared to the other things. So I picked up a 10R, really liked it, but as I discussed with y'all, the the camera was really what uh was gonna do it in for me long term. The screen is great, the battery life is incredible. I loved I love the colors so much. But uh, I really like having that second camera, not necessarily for portrait photos, but it's actually kind of surprising once you pay attention, for me at least, how often I would switch to the zoom lens to take like a regular photo. It's like nice to punch in sometimes. And I-, I-, I knew that in in my inner self that I would be frustrated not having that over time. So... The iPhone XR went back to the Apple Store. Thank you, Apple Retail, for having a a nice return policy. And please don't catch on to the fact that sometimes I use it to review your products. Just keep that between us, listeners. But uh, the thing that I realized was that the the XS Max is beyond like my upper size limit for phones. I really like the Plus size. I like the the size of the Ten, but I, sometimes I thought the Ten was a little a little small. And the 10R for me honestly is like the perfect size iPhone. I really love that size. But I picked the Max up again I was like this is this is too big. It's it's too much phone for me. So all this is going on with y'all, I'm also having this conversation with a family member who like needs to buy a new iPhone to replace a flip phone they were using. Like yes, I had a family member using a flip phone. They wanted to buy an iPhone. They Really like the idea of having something big because this person works uh, like out, like running around all day seeing clients and stuff. So, like, they use a MacBook Air, but they're like, well, I could just do email and stuff like on a phone. If it was big enough, they're going to blow up the tech size. So, like, the Max was attractive to them, but they didn't want to spend the, you know, whatever it is, $2,200 for an iPhone XS Max. And so I cut a deal with that family member. I said, I'll make you a deal on the Max. you know, help you out. You get to where you need to be. Um, and I ended up with an iPhone 10s. It's right here in my hands. And I have to say, I really love it. I love the screen size. It's way more pocketable. I can use it with one hand, unlike the Max, which was just like too big for my, my hands. And so, yeah, that's the end of my iPhone
1: journey for this year. For, for now. For now. I mean, I seem to recall that when we had the conversation about the ten I don't remember exactly what it was that I predicted you would do, but I don't think it's very far off from what you ended up doing, that you wouldn't be able to settle on anything. Mm-hmm. And you didn't settle on anything. You settled for neither the thing that you had or the thing that you already owned. You went for, like, a third option, which was another new thing. It's the most even decision
0: in that... <laughs> situation but anyways i really like the size i will say though uh the battery life is worse on the smaller phone like especially coming from the 10r to this the battery life is not um, stellar it's not impressive so that's a bit of a bummer but other than all that uh my family member is taken care of i've got a phone i like that i can use one-handed and that's uh that's the story
2: i cannot even begin to imagine what you're gonna do when the new modular mac pro comes out you're probably you're gonna try so many different displays. I know what he's
1: gonna do. He's gonna buy. He's gonna buy that. Like yeah, but first
2: he's going for one type of configuration. Then he's gonna switch it to another. Then he's gonna switch oh. displays. <laughs> then it will tweak the amount of RAM that goes into the computer. It'll be like a six month thing at least. You're not wrong. Why would you? What annoying. would you describe as the um, cause for your? undecisiveness steven
0: well, here's the thing i'm actually quite decisive in a lot of areas of life mm. it just when it comes to technology products mm-hmm. and not even like no, not even technology you're products. Very,
1: I, you're very decisive you just make a lot of decisions
0: <laughs> repeatedly <laughs> that's
1: all it is over yeah. and over
0: in quick succession about the same mm-hmm.
1: things but you know
0: like there's a lot of my life that i'm not this way about but uh something about laptops and phones just bounce around a bunch. Mm-hmm. hmm okay. Anyways, but yes, the Mac Pro will be an endless playground for me, uh, which I look forward to greatly. If the iMac Pro is all sealed up. I can't do anything with this computer. I can just look at it and love it,
1: but its successor I will be able to take apart anytime I want. But I remember, though, that like this this iMac Pro came with it, with one of these stories, so <laughs> that, that wasn't like it. That was like a, if I remember rightly, you, you, again beautiful Stephen fashion you were very much like i don't need one of those i'm oh, no. gonna buy he, he a refurbished iMac instead
2: when they when they are announced no. yeah
1: mm. i'm gonna buy a refurbished iMac because that's all the iMac i need and then like two weeks later you got an iMac pro that's pretty much what happened yep yep so this is why like i wonder there's
0: there are always good reasons though right like, that iMac i bought was an i7 and the fan noise was ungodly and when you record podcast you can't deal yep. with that so yep Beautiful, there are always silent good reasons, iMac Pro.
1: But for some reason, everybody else can see these reasons ahead of you.
0: Yeah, that's what's really troubling. So maybe I just need to call y'all before I purchase anything and we just talk anything. to
1: it. Yeah, I mean, I'll just tell you what to do
0: every time. Could you be my life coach? Sure. Okay. Well, that's enough about me. We have a lot of stuff to talk about because the floodgates have opened on 2019 and beyond Apple Rumors. Uh, there's like every time I open a web the, a web browser, there's more Apple rumors to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I thought we could start with the most recent. It's being like today on Wednesday, and we, we work our way back to the stuff earlier this week. So we all woke up this morning to an article by Mark Gurman. As a meta comment, I will say this is written only by him and it's way more clear than the stuff he has to write with other people that has lots of hedging and stuff. Like I read this art, article top to bottom. I have problems with it, but it all made sense. Unlike some of his joint writing he does with other people, which I don't blame Mark for. Like you know, I'm sure he's got editors somewhere make him do that sort of stuff. But uh, to recap this, if you haven't seen it, uh, he, Mark Gurman lays out a timeline for the rollout of what he is still calling marzipan, which. Not everyone thinks that's the name, but whatever. We're calling it that for lack of a better term. Uh, so he's he's laying out the case that this is going to be a three-year story starting in 2019 that developers will be able to port – I'm going to use the word porting, just for, again, lack of a better term, but build their iPad apps and bundles for the Mac App Store. So this is sort of like – phase one of marzipan he's saying this will be in 2019 so it's assuming we'll see this at wdc and in the next version of mac os where ipad apps can run on the mac you know just like news and home and and all that sort of stuff so um that is where he uh where he says things are going to begin which makes sense right like it's the closest thing i think to to a Mac app as an iPad app. So, like, yeah, I could, I could see where this would be where things begin. What do y'all think?
2: Yeah, it makes sense, especially because it's not like, um, I think the report says it, it will not be a bundle of uh, on the app store of like an iPad and a Mac app together, but you will just, as a developer, you will just be able to take your code for an iPad app. And it'll mostly work um, out of the box as a Mac app. So it remains to be seen how evolved compared to the current crop of marzipan apps the final framework will be. But the idea being that uh, you don't have to learn a different framework from scratch. You don't have to deal with UIKit and AppKit at the same time. It'll just be UIKit all the way. It'll just be iOS frameworks that now also work on the Mac. So it opens the opportunity for iPad app developers to bring their apps to the Mac, whereas now there's a barrier to entry for iOS developers, of which there are more than Mac developers, like it or not. This is the era where we live in. Um, Yes. All those developers, young developers, all kinds of developers that are making iPad software can now make Mac software. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, And it'll drive some people crazy. And it'll make other people like us happy, I think. Uh, but the technicalities mm-hmm. of that will be will be interesting. Like, will you be able to tell uh, a marzipan app from a real makeup? Probably. Yeah. Will there be some kind <laughs> I, of? I think so. <laughs> will there be some kind of tribal sort of uh, taking sides among developers and users? Yes, knowing people, they will take sides.
0: It's already happening, right? Like it's if people already are already happening. angry about this, and it's not here yet
2: yeah mm-hmm. but uh I think it's a good
1: idea The thing that i remain the thing that I remain the most interested about, which is something that Mark can't know and no one will know for like like at least six to eight months after um WWDC probably is like what effect this has on mac slash ipad development like how does something like this change the way that apps on either platform mm. is made? Like, for will will people put more effort into their iPad apps than they did before, and like push them further than they did before because they'll be able to run on the Mac as well, right? Like, I'm really intrigued to see what this ends up doing. Like, does it does it mean that we end up with a bunch of not incredible Mac apps, but we end up with a bunch of Mac apps that didn't exist otherwise that we're all happy exist now. Or do we end up in a situation, which is the one that I hope, which is that iPad development gets pushed forward more aggressively than it has been in years because of the fact that you get this like two-for-one, mm. and also you end up with more fresh Mac apps again for the same reason, because there's now a two-for-one.
2: I guess the idea would be that if you're if you now have the tools to bring your iPad app to the Mac... But the Mac audience expects a certain degree of functionality. And so as an iPad developer, you will be more incentivized to care about stuff like keyboard shortcuts or keyboard navigation or um, certain professional features because if you are to sell your app to the to the Mac audience, well, those people expect a certain degree of functionality, mm-hmm. and that becomes sort of the tide that r- raises all boats in the sense that iPad users will be happy and Mac users will be happy. Um, so in, in theory, that should be the plan, and I think it's a clever plan if that is what Apple is doing. Um, my only concern is, uh, and I guess it just comes with the territory, it's not something that can be avoided that there will be a bunch of poor and useless ports of iPad apps uh just because they can exist. But this is something that we see all the time whenever Apple opens up a new platform, like the Apple Watch App Store or the iMessage App Store. Like there will be useless um ports that are released just because they can exist. Yeah. Uh, but I totally. think we can, will, you know, we will be able to separate those that make sense from those that do not make sense. And also, I'm interested to see like, will this be a solution for companies like Twitter or Slack to, in the case of Twitter, to actually offer a Mac app again, even though their iPad, app. but that's the point, even though their iPad app is not great. If they now have the tools to make you work on the Mac, they might ju- they might just fix the iPad app and take better advantage of the screen because then Mac users will complain as well. So um, it's a sort of catch two birds with one stone <laughs> scenario here. And um, I think the possible benefits of this approach are, are more like they are worth the trade-off and the possible disadvantages and the possible downsides of doing this. This has to be the calculus that Apple is doing, that yes, there will be some Mac apps that do not feel like, I don't know, Final Cut or uh, what's a good Mac app these days? BB Edit. Like, there will be these apps that you can tell they come from the iPad, Still, though, it's better than not have those apps at all, and better than to have Electron apps instead. So,
1: yeah, I, I honestly don't see how there is a downside to this because the apps that weren't going to be made with these tools were never going to be made like this. You know, like BBEdit is not going to go to this and and strip a bunch of functionality mm-hmm. out. Right? Really. That's not going to no. happen. Like Panic are not going to be like, oh, lol, Transmit doesn't work on the mac now we're gonna we're gonna revive an ios app and port exactly, it back yeah right like uh, it's not gonna change that but it's gonna add in a bunch of new stuff and i, and I don't understand necessarily why this is a problem like i also saw because part of this is right the 2021 that there'll be single binaries right um so you can have a mac an ipad an iphone app in theory which could all be combining together and combining the app stores and and I've seen people complaining today that, oh, no, this is now Apple taking more money away from us. I don't see that happening either, because most of the developers that would have an issue with this are probably not even using the Mac App Store mm-hmm. anyway. And I also don't imagine well, and that as, say, as far
0: as we know, Apple has no plans to end non-App Store distribution on the Mac. This isn't, and that isn't none of these stories. So... Those classic yeah, mac there's, apps there's
1: like a million times they could have done that yeah. before now and i don't think that this makes it any more likely yeah. one way yeah, or the I other don't either.
0: um so 2019 ipad apps coming to the mac 2020 uh, iphone apps can be ported as, again as separate app bundles Gurman says this is because of difficulty with like the screen size differences so maybe apple struggling how to make ipad or iphone apps not just look like rectangles on the mac uh, my question here mm. with this is like well what about universal ios app. So like if i have a universal app and i make it narrow will it load the iphone ui on the mac? i would assume that it would. You know, i just it, something about this being like ipad and iphone apps being separate by year feels a little a little weird to me.
1: It feels to me that there's like something will happen between yep. 2019 and yep. 2020. Like there's something like else. The, like there's a second like
2: shoe to drop that it's like i don't know I think what Mike is saying is correct. I think there will be either like some major change to Xcode or maybe specifically to Interface Builder. Maybe that um, uh, Gruber was talking about this a few months ago, Um, like a a new way to design interfaces that um, when you you take into account the constraints of an iPhone interface and you want to make it scale up to fill a bigger display... The like the current solution doesn't work, and so you will have to uh, have a different system which explains the um, like twenty nineteen for iPad and twenty twenty for iPhone. Like it feels there's a technological step needed in between. Otherwise, why would there be any difference between iPad and iPhone? Um, and if it's a screen problem, yeah, this if- was
1: that whole discussion that occurred before WWDC last yeah. year where John Gruber was saying that Mark Gorman was mm-hmm. wrong and that Marzipan wasn't what it was it was the idea of creating this system of UI being made completely mm-hmm. differently right and that you would make all these declarations the and UI draw the thank UI you base. that
2: was the word yes
1: that, so but then it was like then there was this kind of like a peeing match between the two of them mm-hmm. right where like Gurman was like, "No, it's my way," and John was like, "No, it's my way," and then Gurman won out. But that doesn't mean the Gruber is wrong. Yeah, that th- what what Gruber was talking about wasn't something else, which could be that yeah. thing. So
0: it feels like we it's like you know trying to draw a big picture, and we just have a, a small viewports here and there. Like clearly, there's more to this, stitching yep. this together that we don't know yet. But um, that makes it fun to talk about months in advance. <laughs> Uh, so like you said, Mike, in 2021, the single binary, so a single app bundle could be downloaded on the Mac, iPad, and iPhone, which Gurman said would effectively combine the app stores. So I don't know if that means that all iOS apps at this point could work on the Mac unmodified. Clearly, that means our Macs by 2021 are a thing, right? Because... For 2019, for an iPad app to be ported to a MacBook Pro that has an Intel processor in it, it is going to have to be recompiled
1: to some degree. This Right, but it depends on how you look at the iPad and the iPhone app stores today, right? Where, like, they are combined, but it's not, like, iPhone apps are not, like, presented front and center. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, what way do we look sure. at this? Like, do you consider the iPhone and iPad app stores right now to be the same? uh i mean kind of you know like it's it's confusing right and yeah. and i think
0: that the undercurrent for me in all of this is what does this timeline say about arm max like if app, so uh, i have two minds of this if arm max are still a couple of years out then apple's asking developers to take an ipad app or an iphone app eventually do the work to make it run on an intel machine and then, oh, by the way, 18 months later, 24 months later, oh, there's ARM Macs. Look so at all that work you did to make your iOS app work on an Intel machine. Uh, we don't need that anymore. Just, uh, just discard all that work you did. That's not great. But then the flip side is worse, where if they roll this out with a new ARM MacBook and they say, this only works on the new MacBook, and it will only work on ARM Macs, and all those Intel Macs we, we sold and still sell today, they don't get any of this. That's also bad. So... Again, there's some middle ground here. There's something that we can't see. Uh, it, it may be that preparing an iOS app for Intel is not a big deal. You know, maybe it's better than it was during the PowerPC transition. I mean, maybe it is. Uh, they've really gotten it where it's it's not a big deal at all. Or maybe you don't have to do it, and they're doing some emulation for you automatically. You know, where you just it's this it's actually the same code, and they run a translation layer like Rosetta was. So it may be that it doesn't require ARM Macs at all. I mean, yes, the chat room is yelling at me. Like, yes, macOS supports fat binaries that are that for a long time. But like, this is a new era and a new set of problems from PowerPC to Intel. And Apple's got to tell a story there that makes sense for developers to do it. Right, So when they switched to Intel, the story was, hey, if you recompile your apps, they're going to be four to five times faster. Like you know, You're know, you going to be able to take benefit of all this Intel stuff, and you won't be dependent on Rosetta. And eventually Rosetta is going to go away, so you, you should do this. That is not the story this time, and so Apple needs to, to have a compelling reason for developers to go down this road because they're asking them to take a, a product you know, and a, an application – Import it to a less popular platform, right this is the truth, right? I love the Mac more than you know like almost anyone it feels like, and it is a less popular platform you're you're asking developers to do something that isn't a guaranteed win for them business wise and so you got to you got to make that as easy as possible, and I think that's another factor here to consider it's all very exhausting to think about guys yeah, uh, I did want to point yeah. out one thing in this article that i i didn't love um. I still wanted to go past. So, pretty high in the article, Gurman writes Each new app is another revenue opportunity for Apple because it takes a cut of many app related purchases and subscriptions. The company has positioned its services division as a major growth area. Now, he does go on later and say, basically, oh, well, it's good for users and developers too. And I think. Uh, yeah, I'm reading into what he wrote, right? But I think the the order of those things is wrong. I think Apple's doing this because it believes it's good for the platforms. It's a lifeboat for the Mac, which has a, an, an app ecosystem that is not healthy. It is good for users and developers. It, it benefits users to be on all Apple platforms if their apps work everywhere, and it's good for developers potentially because they could make more money. Yes, the side effect of that is Apple makes more money, but I don't read any of this as Apple doing this to to marginally improve their services revenue because Apple is spending who knows how much money in engineering talent and and engineering hours to make all this stuff work. They're never going to make that back on the 30% stuff of what, you know, if these apps charge separately from their iOS bundles, right? Like, that math doesn't make any sense to me. So I just, everyone right now wants to put every Apple story through the context of the services revenue. And I just, I think that's a little lazy and mm. and not fair to what the company's trying to do.
2: Yeah, I guess I, I see why, like, at first I didn't, I didn't understand why you disliked the point, but then in the context of now every single thing that Apple does is, Passed through the lens of Apple is now a services company yeah I mean of course they are investing uh, in this stuff um, because they want to make it easier to buy software and to buy it on more platforms but then again it'll like this very idea of of having a single binary that runs across multiple devices potentially it means um, Apple is taking 30% of a single um, pri- like a single price or a single purchase from the user yeah so it kind of runs counter to the very premise of they're doing it because of services because it means less revenue in theory so um
1: yeah if you wanted to do it as services
2: you would do all of this (laughs) but keep the app store separate exactly right um i think the the point that i wanted to make in this segment is um uh, the more we hear about this stuff uh, and now we have more details of this possible timeline for 2020 and 2021, the more it seems clear that we are moving uh, like it or not, to a point where there will be a single Apple platform um, I don't want to say Apple OS yet um, even though I think that's what we'll have in five years, but the idea of a shared app platform between the between iOS and the Mac is the end goal and um, I feel like starting with apps and slowly merging, uh, you know, starting with iPad apps can now run on the Mac and then make it possible for, you know, release the first Macs run uh, with um, ARM uh, chips inside made by Apple and then make it possible for iPhone apps to run on the Mac and then make a single binary. I mean, at that point you're just um, unifying multiple devices into one app platform and once you reach that, you know, in 2022, for example, why not just have a single Apple OS? So the idea of, and this is my belief, and there's other people that uh, would agree with this, but I think it would the, the future should be one of a single operating system that can scale across different types of computers, different types of screens, different interactions... I'm not. I'm not arguing in favor of the death of the Mac or saying the Mac should go away. I think this distinction between iOS and macOS is weird, and I think we're reaching the point where first with apps, and then and yes, I know uh, that that Apple said no to combining iOS and macOS, but we all know that Apple can say one thing and have. Uh, dozens of invisible footnotes in every statement that they make publicly. Um, and in that case, it will not be merging iOS and macOS. It'll be a new thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, technically, we didn't merge them. It's it's brand new. What are you talking about? <laughs> play, this is pure Apple Playbook. They didn't merge them. They made a new thing. Um, so I feel like you can still have what you love about the Mac. You can still have what you love about iOS. But you can remove this entire overhead of some things run on macOS and macOS has certain frameworks and interactions and other things work only on iOS. It's a lot of work for everybody. It's a lot of work for users to understand. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work for Apple. It's a lot of work for developers. Why not make it easy? We have the tools to make software that can adapt, that can change to depending on the device that you're using, the, whether it's touch, cursor, Big screen, small screen, multiple windows, multiple monitors. Like we ha- we are advanced enough, technologically speaking, to have this kind of stuff. Other companies are already doing it, so um, I feel like, you know, I keep co- coming back to this metaphor of um, the so- like a song, like music. Like um, I think of the future of the single Apple OS, the single Apple f- platform, as like you have the same song and you can listen to the same song using different devices. You can listen to the song with your iPhone speakers. You can listen to the same song with the HomePod and you can use your earbuds, your AirPods, your headphones, your car stereo, but it's always the same song. It's always the same, at a basic level, the same experience, but it changes. Like on your uh, HomePod, you hear, you know, the, the bass is better and louder and maybe with your... Or over-ear headphones you hear other details better but it's still the same song and the idea of it's still the same OS but you just switch computers and you switch screens and and sizes and uh, workstations uh, that's the future that I want to see and it it's gonna make a lot of people uneasy uh, but I feel it's the right thing to do and this is a timeline, this rumor provides a timeline where we're now in 2019 I strongly believe that by twenty twenty three so five years um we'll have this kind of future
0: one uh last thing in the report, just basically thrown in at the bottom was the mac pro may be shown off at WWDC. so keeping an eye out for my
1: pick for the year, I guess I appreciate that German yeah, I think we all i think we all felt that right like I don't think that's a surprise, yeah, it seems inevitable,
0: all right, so we have some more. Stuff to talk about, but I'm going to tell you about our second sponsor. This episode of Connected is brought to you by our friends at Luna Display. Having extra space when working from your Mac is super useful. It can make tiresome tasks more enjoyable by removing that command tab frustration. And think about it we have iPads, and iPads have stunning displays. And maybe you like the idea of having another screen for your Mac, but don't want to go out and purchase another big, bulky display. Well, Luna Display is the answer because it lets you use that stunning iPad display with your Mac with just a tiny bit of hardware. Luna Display provides crystal clear image quality, reliable performance, and wireless flexibility. You just pop in. A little hardware to your Mac, and you're good to go. And if you don't have a Wi-Fi connection, say you're traveling, uh, no worries. You can just connect directly via USB. And the great thing about Luna Display is how portable the whole setup is. So you can be productive at the office, in the studio, or again, as you travel. It's a super smart way to work with more screen real estate while you're on the go luna acts is a complete extension of your mac it's going to support your external keyboard as well as your apple pencil and touch interactions uh basically it turns turns your mac into an ios app which is something you guys have said that um that's really how it feels it's great mm-hmm. and the all new liquid video engine brings significantly reduced latency and a faster screen refresh rate it feels native it's so fast um I've been using Luna Display for a while now, and the setup process is really easy. So you get the iOS app, you get the Mac app, and then you just plug in the little bit of hardware. Mine is just plugged in right to the back of my iMac Pro, and anytime I want to use it, I just fire up the Luna Display application, and I'm ready to go in just seconds. It's not a long process every time. It just just works. Listeners of Connected can get an exclusive 10% off their Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code CONNECTED at checkout. That's lunadisplay.com and promo code CONNECTED. So don't put this off any longer. Uh, Travel smarter. Use that iPad display with your Mac for additional screen real estate. So head on over to lunadisplay.com and use the promo code CONNECTED for 10% off. Our thanks to Luna Display for their support of this show and Relay FM.
1: So, our good th- friend, Mr. Ming Chi Kuo, uh, dropped a beautiful graphic. You've all seen the graphic, yes. right? It's, it's. You've seen the graphic. It's so fun. I love it. There's like a rabbit yeah. and a pig, and there's like some flowers, and it's all different colors. And I love the font yeah. that they chose. My, my buddy, Ming Chi, you know,
2: uses a uh, pixel meter to, to get this stuff done. Um, I'm. not mm-hmm.
1: surprised. It's very cool. I like this graphic a lot. I don't. It's like one of those things. I don't know why they chose to display it that way, but I kind of love that they did. Um, but there's a there's a whole ton of things on here, and we're probably not going to cover all of them. We should maybe just tackle a few of the things um, that's reported in this. So I guess the big big thing is the MacBook Pro. There's a rumored 16 inch MacBook Pro uh, coming sometime this year, like all of the stuff that Ming-Chi Kuo is talking about is stuff that he expects to be this year. Um, Steven, do you want to give us the breakdown of what this MacBook Pro could look like and, and or what you think it might look like based upon the information uh, that Kuo has given?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, basically the, the whole of this part of his report is that Apple will be releasing a new MacBook Pro between 16 and 16, 6- Sixteen point five inches in size, remember his sources are like supply chain type sources like he's rarely wrong about size stuff right? like he knew the sizes of the iPhones for this past year you know way in advance you know he knew the size of the 10s the XR, the max yeah. early on so when he has something to say about like dimensions, I generally believe it so sixteen sixteen and a half inch MacBook Pro with a uh, what he's calling an all new design so this, assumedly, is not just the 15-inch MacBook Pro stretch, so some sort of new design. You know, uh, I sort of struggled to understand what that would look like because I feel like the MacBook Pro is about as, as simple and as plain of a notebook design as you could get besides the touch bar, but I guess we'll see what they have to have to do there. So this, this machine is really interesting for a bunch of reasons. Um, the current MacBook Pro, you know, the big one, is uh, 15 inches. And some people have said, well, this is just going to be them, you know, doing the bezel-less thing and shrinking the bezels uh, around that display. And I'm not sure that's actually uh, what's going to happen here. So the the current MacBook Pro is actually a 15.4-inch diagonal uh, display. And I don't have one of these 15-inch MacBook Pros in person, but like looking at my 13-inch MacBook Pro of the same design, I'm actually not sure there's enough bezel left to like stretch it and hit the 16 or 16 and a half inches he's talking about. Uh, So I I, I tend to think this is a bigger notebook. Like it's actually physically bigger than the 15-inch MacBook Pro. What I thought about instantly was when Apple introduced the Retina MacBook Pro back in 2012. It was a new design, whole new machine, right? Like no spinning hard drives, different I.O., different design. Of course, the Retina display being at the heart of it. And it was introduced as a high end model above the other MacBook Pros. And over time, the Retina display and the new design slowly worked its way down. And before we knew it, you know, after a few years, all the 15 inch MacBook Pros are Retina, and then all the 13 inch MacBook Pros are Retina. And then they've slowly phased the other design out. That's kind of what I think could happen here. I think that we could see a 15 inch and a 16 and a half inch for a while. And then this new design come down. Uh, I would like.
1: Yeah, because you've got you've got to guess that a machine like this one is going to be more expensive as a starting point than what they currently have. Right.
0: Um, I, I would think so. And, you know, there's still this thing of like size and price being sort of a ratio with Apple. And so a bigger machine, you kind of assume will demand a higher price. So that could be uh, an outcome here. I would like to see them change the design all at once, but you know that's just coming from a frustration point of the MacBook Pro. But I, I do think that there's demand for this. I think there were people who were sad when the 17 went away. The 17-inch never entered the Retina era. And there are people who do want more space, but more importantly, they want better performance. And the 15-inch, we're going to talk about this in a second. The 15-inch MacBook Pro... Like it's impressive but they could do more with it if they had better cooling and more space and so this this mm-hmm. could be an even more powerful machine you know they could bring in some like really high you know AMD has a new line of mobile graphics um, with like all the, all the RTX stuff and they could bring that into this potentially uh, it could really be an interesting machine and uh, hey you know they could give it great battery life and let it be cooler and you know it's easy to pin all of our desires on this machine so that's what i'm doing um but i think it's going to be a new high-end model that introduces something new that eventually comes to the rest
1: of them so quo refers to it as an all new design right like all new design what does all new design mean to you other Mm -hmm. than it's got a bigger screen
0: uh it, it means that it's got a um it's got a revised keyboard i think that's I think if they say it's an all new design and it's the same keyboard people are gonna be upset so I think they're gonna address the keyboard um, and I think that it, it maybe they bring it more in line with with the iPad potentially you know sort of that the the way that the way the iPad looks I don't suspect that we'll see a big change in terms of iO I think it's still going to be Thunderbolt 3 only so I think it will be less of a big deal than when they went from the 2015 to the 2016 that was a radical departure I see this being less of a departure than that was but but i I struggle sometimes with my imagination and these sorts of things so
1: who knows i'm just wondering because like i was talking to jason about this a bit on upgrade and i want to see what you think i kind of feel like the laptop design is is been has been solved Mm -hmm. like there isn't really much more at least that apple will will want to do um there are there are things that other companies are doing, like making them into convertible devices, putting leather on the outside of them. Like there's yeah. stuff that's happening, but I can't imagine a MacBook Pro looking that much different when it's closed, for example, mm-hmm. than what they currently do.
0: Yeah, I mean they love thin aluminum machines, right? Like it's they're not gonna. I don't think they're gonna experiment with materials very much. You know, bring the bezels down, replace the keyboard, and maybe you ditch the touch bar in this
1: or something. But oh, it's just, I was just about to ask you that. Touch bar or no touch bar?
0: That is... I mean, so, colored through my personal experience with the touch bar, I would say get rid of it, and we never speak of it again. You know, this, this is going to be a pro-level machine, and I'm not sure that pros have been really sold on it. You know, because they have the type of users who are wired into keyboard shortcuts and stuff, you know? Um, I would love that this would be maybe the first machine that had touch as an option, but I don't see them doing like a two-in-one Surface Book type thing. I just... I, I feel mm-hmm. like Apple's allergic to it with the Mac for some reason, which is a bummer. Yeah. I think they should do it, but I don't I don't see it coming with this. Yeah, okay. This, uh, this MacBook Pro, though, is going to have a buddy, potentially. Uh, yes. Which is perhaps even more exciting because it, it, I think, could go to a wider number of users. So uh, Apple, you know, been out of the display business for a while, and he's saying they're going to come back in with a 31.6-inch 6K, he calls it 6K 3K, which I think is just like a 6K, I think he's talking about the horizontal and vertical resolution, but a 6K monitor uh, powered by mini or it folds or oh it folds God. just like whatever samsung is doing right now as a record
1: uh-huh. Um, uh-huh 6k 3k
0: powered by mini led which is something apple's been playing with i assumed that was going to come to the watch first but maybe it's going to come here clearly this display would look incredible but i got to thinking wait a second what does apple have that can drive a 6k display and that led me down Basically like 45 minutes of reading Thunderbolt spec sheets. So I have some knowledge to drop on y'all. You had the greatest afternoon you could possibly give yourself. Thunderbolt 3, which showed mm-hmm. up in these MacBook Pros we've been talking about, can push two 4K Hertz displays or one 60Hz 5K display. Uh, this is basically over a single... like. When you talk about the number of ports versus the number of lanes with Thunderbolt, it gets confusing. I'm sort of glossing over some of that. But two 4K displays, one 5K display is what Thunderbolt can do. That is through DisplayPort, which is a connection type that rides on top of Thunderbolt 3. So remember, Thunderbolt 3 uses the USB-C connector, but it also carries Thunderbolt 2 and DisplayPort and like USB-A and like all these other things crammed in for the ride. It's, it's a little confusing to talk about. Uh, DisplayPort 1.4, which is the the newest standard of DisplayPort, can drive 8K displays. Now, to do this, you need the updated Thunderbolt 3 controller that Intel released last year called Titan Ridge. So it's still Thunderbolt 3. The port looks the same. Mm -hmm. It acts the same. But it's got more bandwidth. With the 2018 MacBook Pros, Apple moved to Titan Ridge controllers. It's just in the notebooks and... It is you know, more bandwidth, super speedy, but Apple didn't fully implement DisplayPort 1.4 oh, no. on that controller. <laughs> no. So the hardware, the, the, the connection is capable of driving an 8K display, but the crummy GPUs Apple puts in their notebooks is not capable of driving that. So Apple caps these machines at 5K output. My question initially was, can Thunderbolt 3 even drive a 6K display? The answer is yes. The sub-answer is, but none of Apple's current Thunderbolt 3 machines can do it because of the GPU situation. Right. So it's
1: like a good news, bad news. Yeah. Right. Good news is it's possible. Apple has the ability to do yes. this. Bad news, it's going to be like we're drawing a line in the sand. Right because I mean, clearly this monitor is for this new mythical MacBook Pro and the Mac Pro. Like, yes. that's what it's for, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's for those two things. We'll maybe get to something else mm-hmm. in a minute. But, like, th- th- that's what we're assuming. Right. that you know, And they will probably be like, oh, hey, in June, we have this MacBook Pro. Here is that MacBook Pro. Here is a monitor. These will be available in four weeks. And here's a teaser about the Mac Pro, which will also be able to totally. use this thing, right? That's
0: totally what's going to happen.
1: Because Ming, for Ming-Chi Kuo to know about this stuff right now must mean... It's Closer than the Mac Pro, which he seems to know nothing on except the fact that it's coming, but he didn't know that. Everybody knows that. Apple said it. So, like, he doesn't necessarily know anything that Mark Gurman doesn't know or that I don't know, right? Like, it's just we all know it.
0: I came down, uh, like, going down this rabbit hole. You know, they make a 15 inch MacBook Pro with like a a beefier GPU now. They, They rolled it out in the fall, and there was speculation at the time that Apple could enable. DisplayPort one point four for that machine with a firmware update, and they haven't done it. So either that GPU isn't powerful enough, or uh, they're just unwilling to do it for you know whatever reason. So this is doable. I think you are right. This new display would work with the twenty nineteen MacBook Pro and the twenty nineteen Mac Pro and the twenty nineteen you know iMac Pro or whatever, but not current machines. Which that's not crazy uncommon when Apple's rollout displays. You know they had. Uh, I just wrote this piece for Federico about Macworld 2009, and that was when they were moving to DisplayPort for the first time. Before Thunderbolt, just regular DisplayPort and mi- mini DisplayPort, and they had an, the LED Cinema display, which used mini DisplayPort. And then they rolled out Thunderbolt Max, and then they had the Thunderbolt display, but the Thunderbolt display was only compatible with new Macs. So it wasn't backwards compatible, even though the connector was the same, so... This would be a similar situation here, I think, where it's it's compatible with these machines. Even though the ports look the same, they're not the same, which is a little confusing if you're just going into a store to buy something. But, you know, you can say, oh, well, it supports a 2019 machine. I have a 2017, so it won't work. So it's not great, but people can deal with it. Where this gets uh, interesting is what we're going to talk about um, after the break because Federico had a really good question for me that Mm – we went further
1: down. We went deeper mm-hmm. into Intel spec sheets. Before, before we do, I just have one thing mm-hmm. I wanted to mention about the monitor, right? That it's 30 inches. And that's just funny to me because it feels like monitors never got bigger than that. Yeah, I mean... Right, like, it's it's just a funny thing that, like, it seems that on a desk... I mean, I think for good reason. We found the maximum size of monitors like 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, Apple had that 30-inch. And I remember if you had it, you were like... Baller status. <laughs> it was really expensive. It's huge,
1: it's huge. Yeah, I mean thirty. Th- but like even gaming monitors, though, like yeah. you know the ultra wides excluded. But by and large, they're in the high twenty inches. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, part of that is is based on resolution, right? So if you don't want to have 4K display above a certain size point, because then it's like you can see the pixels again. So part of that, like you know, that's there's some fudge there, I think. But mm-hmm. it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a gonna be a big boy. Uh, hooked up to our Mac Pros at the end of the year. I'm sure Casey's very excited.
1: Mm. I'm actually very excited <laughs> too. about it. It's it's becoming like more exciting the more I hear about it. Like that screen sounds berserk.
0: Mm-hmm. It's gonna be cool. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Care of. Care of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. You may have wondered at some point in the past whether you're getting all the vitamins you need if you're taking care of yourself the best way possible. And you're right to wonder because it turns out like 90% of us are lacking in at least one vitamin or nutrient. of can help you figure out what you need with a fun online quiz. And it asks things about your diet, health goals, lifestyle choices, that sort of thing. It just takes five minutes and it works out uh, what you need to, to add to your, uh, to your system. And because they know you're busy, Care/of will send this stuff, send these vitamins right to your door in personalized, easy-to-remember daily packs, which are great if you're traveling, right? Like, if you, if you have a prescription, you got to, like, count out how many days you're going to be gone. Like, You don't have to worry about that. It's just daily packs. And if you're vegan or vegetarian, they totally cater to that, too. So everyone is set. So, Mike, I know you have been... Mm-hmm. Uh spending some time with care of vitamins, so how's it been
1: going? Yeah, so I went through my favorite thing. About care of actually is their quiz so the quiz is super easy it asks you a bunch of questions and it's it's not daunting like you don't have like this long list of questions they just go through one at a time and it's nice and visual as well so just big buttons with little illustrations on them and it says like oh how do you feel about this what is your current feeling about this and you can kind of go through and tweak everything um it has nice uh nice i say nice graphics it's got some personality to it and i really liked at the end of the quiz it kind of it shows you all of the things that it recommends that they end up setting up for you on like a a plan. And it goes through, okay, I think you might want this thing and this thing and this thing. And what I like is when you click into it, it tells you why based upon the questions that you gave. So, if you're then looking at it and be like, oh, I don't know what I think about this, is this something that I want? Is this something that is this the right mix for me? It actually tells you why based upon the answers that you gave. And if you feel like you want to tweak anything, you can. I just really like that a system like this one walks you through it really easily, like getting rid of the confusing and big questions and then gives you a nice breakdown at the end. Uh, And just because Stephen asked me to, I will say vitamins now uh, because it sounds more fun than vitamins. 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 Maybe someone
0: can remix that for us with some sweet music in the background. (laughs) Yep. And guess what? We're still in the beginning of the year. So if you have some health-related goals for 2019, Care/of helps make sure that it sticks by helping you build a routine that's made just for you. To take advantage of this month's special New Year's offer for 50% off your first month of personalized Care of Vitamins, go to takecareof.com and enter the code Connected50. That's Connected50. That's takecareof.com and promo code Connected50 for 50% off your first month of vitamins. My thanks to Care of for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, we've been talking about this new display. 6K and Federico has what I've termed pixel lust. He's got that 4K display, but the man just wants more. And so we started thinking about well, what would happen mm. if the iPad Pro got an update. Could it support something like this? Uh, what would it what would it mean for it to be uh, you know more capable than just with a, a new Mac? And that's where we get into USB 3.1 mm-hmm. Gen two, yeah. which is the current standard 10 gigabits per second bandwidth, yeah. which is super fast, mm-hmm. but not near enough for this sort of display, right? There's not enough bandwidth. Well USB 3.2, dear friends, is out there on the horizon being tested. I don't know how you test a USB spec. You know, like do you do you make it run? Do you starve it and then see if it gets angry? I don't know what you do, but they're testing it And it it seems like uh, USB 3.2 could answer some of these issues, but maybe not all of them. So uh, the bandwidth needed for 6K is beyond the 20 gigabits per second that USB 3.2 will offer. Uh, In my reading, it it, it seems like USB 3.2 could support a 5K display. So right now, like the iPad Pro or the one-port MacBook can only drive the LG 4K, but the 5K requires Thunderbolt, again, for the additional bandwidth. So it may be that the iPad Pro can push a 5K display if this new connector makes it to the iPad or makes it to the new MacBook at some point. But it seems like, from my understanding at least, that 6K and higher is going to require Thunderbolt. And at this point, that's not in an iPad.
2: Yeah. And it, not yet. Yeah, and it, and it feels like um, if... Apple is indeed making this 6K display and assuming that, again, it would just be strange, I think, if Apple were to release a display and it did not support the iPad Pro, um, I think it would be strange, especially considering how they made a big deal of external display support on the iPad Pro last year. Now, I just, I cannot imagine Apple saying, we made a new display, but it's only for Macs, um especially if the iPad Pro is going to have some productivity enhancements in the next version of iOS, and maybe they're going to have some external displays support you know, like new stuff, new APIs or whatever. Um, so I was thinking about the rumor that we saw that Apple is indeed working on a spec bump for the iPad Pros in 2019, so we were all just assuming that the next iPad Pro would come out in 2020. Because they are they are on a two year release cycle, and you know the iPad Pro just came out in November 2018, so the, the design is gonna stay the same for at least a couple of years. But now there's this rumor saying that Apple is working on a, on a, a spec bump for the iPad Pros this year, and so I started wondering what if this spec bump is necessary to make those new iPad Pros support the uh, the new Apple display, the new 6K Apple display that they're supposedly making but if that is the case i have to wonder usb 3.2 is still in the testing stages it's not being widely adopted i cannot think of any uh, device that you can get off amazon or any other consumer electronics product product that currently supports uh usb 3.2 uh at 20 gigabits per second um so could this mean that apple is going to uh ...finally cave and bring Thunderbolt support to the iPad? Is that even possible uh, without an Intel GPU behind the scenes? Uh, or does this mean that the display will not support the iPad Pro? I'm ju- so I'm just wondering, what's the uh, what's the strangest outcome here? That Apple releases a display that does not support the iPad Pro... Or that Apple has figured out a way to bring Thunderbolt to the iPad Pro, and I,
0: well, the thing, the thing hanging over that question is, again, the ARM Mac. I don't think Apple wants to drop Thunderbolt from the Mac, and so at some point you've got to think they're going to bring Thunderbolt to ARM. And so Thunderbolt isn't is an Intel technology, but they have made it uh, where OEMs can use it. And I'm not sure if that means like Apple could just take it and stick it in an ARM machine, or if it's even possible. That's way engineering way above my pay grade, but it, it feels inevitable that Thunderbolt or something equivalent to it will come to ARM devices made by Apple. I just don't know if it's now. I mean, I think if they release this display and it does not support the iPad Pro, like that's a bummer, but I don't think it, I think that's definitely possible and actually probably likely even.
2: I mean, I would love for Apple to bring some consistency to this and say uh, both the Mac and the iPad Pro, they support USB-C and they support Thunderbolt and DisplayPort 1.4. And you can use the same 5K or 6K display either with your Mac or your iPad Pro. I think that would be the right thing to do, especially because the USB uh, the USB spec is not advancing as quickly as Thunderbolt 3 uh, at this point. So we're still in the testing stages for something that is stuck at 20 gigabits per second, uh, and Thunderbolt 3 is already double that and shipping right now. Um, so before something like USB 3.2 Gen 2 or even USB 3.3 is available, it'll be several years. And again, I think it's just strange to imagine that Apple is back in the display business, but it just works with the Mac. So personally, I... I think it's more likely slash I want to believe the Thunderbolt is coming to the iPad Pro. Uh, and there's also this, uh, you know, this rumor of a spec bump this year. Uh, that would sort of remind me of when, the, when Apple made a big deal with the iPad 3, the first to go Retina, and then a few months later they did the iPad 4 because they needed to switch to Lightning. Uh-huh. Um, and so everybody was upset because, oh, the, new, the iPad 3 just came out a few months ago and now you already have the iPad 4. Uh, which was essentially the same iPad, but just with the with the with the new Lightning port instead of the 30-pin dock connector. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I would love for the iPad Pro to gain, you know, software-wise, better integration with external displays. Um, and I want this this 6K Apple monitor to exist. Uh, the The report is also saying that it'll be like the what's the name, micro LED uh, display, super super fancy stuff. So. Mini, mini LED, mini I think. LED. Uh, really real fancy. I can uh, I can imagine that it'll be beautiful uh, and like a beautiful piece of hardware, unlike the LG UltraFine that I have, which is functional but ugly. So, I think I think that like maybe the stars are lining
1: up for the iPad to support this, based upon that the the update to the iPad Pro, which quo just calls like a processor mm-hmm. bump, which doesn't make any sense otherwise. Because they've never done this before. Where they've had an iPad Pro not change except for get a new processor. Like that is that's a w that's a weird thing to see, I think. Um of, like why else would they do that? I don't know why they wouldn't just leave it for the eighteen months. Unless it's like something else in iOS that, that would require it, mm. but I don't know. It seems it seems a little strange yeah, to me, and
2: it's it sounds oddly specific to say iPad Pro spec bump in twenty nineteen. Like we just had a new iPad Pro, so unless uh, Quo heard something specific, why would this be in his report? So, and it tends to be accurate with this kind of stuff. So, again, I want to believe this is happening, but uh, and again, I cannot think of any other. Like, why would the iPad Pro need a spec bump in 2019? If I were to ask you this question, what would the answer be? And th- this display comes as the first possible option uh, because it's 6K and Apple does not want to release a new display that does not support the iPad Pro, so they, they can just go out and say, we have a new display, it works both with the Mac and the iPad, and here you go with new Macs and new iPads. Um I don't know. That would be sweet. And at the point, I'm already, I've been discussing with Sylvia what happens to this ultra that I have. Is thirty inch too, thirty inches too much for the desk that I, that we bought? We'll we'll disc- we'll talk about that again when the time comes. Do we think that they'll only do one monitor,
1: Steven, Do you think it will just be one size?
0: I think it's just the, just the big boy. If if they can roll out the faster Thunderbolt three quick enough. You know, uh, I think maybe they do a 5K that supports older Thunderbolt or, or even USB-C, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, the new 3. Point whatever, 3.2. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, my gut says just one, and if it doesn't support your machine, too bad, but...
1: So there was also some rumors of iPhone changes. So I'm going to read this uh, section from Nine to Five Max report on Ming Chi Quo's uh, report. Uh, according to Quo, the 2019 iPhones will feature ultra wideband connectivity for indoor positioning and navigation, frosted glass casing, bilateral wireless charging for charging other devices. So. You could basically charge your AirPods from the iPhone. Upgraded Face ID with a higher power flood illuminator, larger batteries, and a triple camera design. But Quo doesn't say which phones will get which features exactly. So if you imagine all of that stuff in an iPhone, do you think that this is like a big enough selection of things to move the needle? Maybe for people in our lives that didn't think that the the 10s line was big enough change-wise? Mm.
2: I guess it depends on what what a new camera system would bring in practice. Like, I cannot imagine mm-hmm. the, the two-way wireless charging being a big deal for folks. Yes, you will be able to maybe charge your AirPods on top of your phone, and that's cool, but that's not something that sells a new iPhone. But a radically new way to take pictures or like considerably better photos... Now, that that's something that can sell phones. Um, I also think that a price drop can sell phones. So uh, I remain convinced that uh, this is something that we said a few episodes ago. There will be price drops for iPhones in 2019. Um, right now, it doesn't sound so compelling. for. Pe- I mean, I'm going to get it anyway. But for people who want to see the differences between each iPhone iteration, I don't think it sounds... Like like a major departure from the 10 and the 10s, I guess the new material could be something that entices people to upgrade. Again, I struggle to imagine what that's gonna look like, but my feeling is 10 10s. So I'm talking about the small version of the phone. 10 10s, uh, whatever it's gonna be called, 11. uh, Like the base model doesn't sound so different. Now, the max, if it has the new camera system, now that could be something to drive people to upgrade to, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think I'm mostly feeling the same, right? Like, these sound like an interesting selection of things to me, um, but but it's definitely back in the kind of incremental camp again, which I don't know if it's easy to forget or, or whatever, but that's kind of how we were for many years before the 10, right? That like it was it was mostly just incremental updates every year and depending on your own personal set of uh, requirements, you would decide which one of the two was the more important, right? Um, whether it was like speed or whether it was cameras because, you know, from the six onwards, it didn't really change for a long time. I
2: remember that was you know, boring for us. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And we've probably got, Maybe this one will still be exciting, but then probably the one after that, unless Apple does some big big stuff it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit chill again for a few more years i think um I mean, and it's probably because just in general the standard line of smartphones has mostly become pretty samey i mean we mentioned this, but we are recording this at the time, like Samsung has just shown off the first kind of like really commercial galaxy phone, Fold. <laughs> so maybe like the galaxy fold like in a few more years you know things might get more exciting again as there's like new form factors and stuff but you know it's it's pretty the iphone 10 was incredible but it it will only take a year for it to feel normal and and so now anything that comes from there is going to be going to be pretty pretty uh it's going to feel pretty much the same yeah. for a bit i mean i would say that like this phone sounds more exciting a jump than the 10 to the 10 did. like the 10s to this does feel more interesting. Better face idea would be great. Um triple camera sounds fun. I don't know what ultra wide band connectivity gets me. I don't really know what that means. The bilateral charging will be a really nice thing, especially as AirPods are growing in in uh popularity, and I guess we're all assuming that it's AirPods, that's why they're doing this. Um so yeah, I think that it sounds I think it sounds fun, but it's not huge. Um so we already know what the stories are gonna be, you know, like Failing Apple who couldn't sell enough iPhones don't do enough with their iPhone to sell more iPhones. But that's just how that's going to go for a bit. Probably.
0: Yeah. I mean, they've moved into a cycle that's longer than two years with the design. And if, you know, I think people saw the notch potentially as like a design change, but if it's the new normal and it lasts as long as the home button, you know, we have to divorce that from the rest of the design aesthetic of the phone potentially to, consider something new or not it's new ground this year especially with
1: three phones so we will we will see how it goes and Ming-Chi Kuo also calls out that there'll be air power this year after all uh but I still don't buy it I'd still just I'm still not I just still don't believe it it seems so strange to me still I, I don't know I don't know about it I don't know we'll see if you want to find
0: links to stuff we've talked about Uh, stories we mentioned, you can head over to the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 231. While you're there, you can get in touch. There's an email link there in the sidebar. You can send us feedback, follow up via email, but that's too old fashioned for you. Or you can do it in less than 280 characters, I guess. You could do it over on Twitter. You can find Mike there as I-M-Y-K-E. And Mike is the host of a bunch of shows here on Relay FM. So if you like connected, it's probably something else that we do that you would like like as well. You can follow Federico at Baticci, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. He is the editor in chief of MacStories.net. So as these uh, mm-hmm. as these <laughs> iPad apps come to the Mac, yeah. you guys are going to oh, be busy, kind of Federico. It's going to be a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about this year. You can follow me on Twitter as ISMH and my writing at 512pixels.net. I'd thank our three sponsors this week Pingdom, Luna Display, and Care Of. And until next week, gentlemen, say goodbye.
2: Arrivederci. Cheerio.
0: Adios.